0: Walking distance is supported by gossamer gear. So there I was at Kit Lake on Avalanche Divide in the Grand Tetons. The wind was up, and my gossamer gear trekking pole tent, the one, barely moved. At only 17 ounces, the one is bomb-proof, with loads of room inside to sit up, store your gear, and stay dry and safe from the bugs. And Gossamer Gear Gorilla 50-liter ultralight backpack is roomy and organized enough for all I need, plus a week's worth of food. From trekking poles to hiking umbrellas, tents, and backpacks, Gossamer Gear is some of the highest quality, lightweight gear out there. And as a listener of Walking Distance, you can score 15% off your next order at gossamergear.com. Just use the code WALKINGDISTANCE. Gossamer Gear. Take less. Do more.
1: When I am out on a hike, I'll be pinching my tent out on a campsite somewhere watching the sunset and it'll click in the back of my mind that I am here and I'm getting paid to enjoy this hike. From the trek, this is
0: Walking Distance, a show for hikers, trekkers, trampers and wanderers that proves any place worth seeing can be reached by walking there. And that it's even better when you carry all you need in a backpack. I'm Blissful Hiker. Have you ever been on a backpack trip and there's that moment when you know the trip is coming to an end and that you're headed back to the office to sit in a cubicle, indoors, with artificial light and maybe even bad coffee? You probably wondered, could I maybe, perhaps, somehow do this kind of thing called backpacking for a living? What would it take to ditch my job and work instead in the outdoor industry? It can be done, and that's exactly what Dan Purdy did, going from office-dwelling engineer to professional backpacking guide in a year. Interestingly enough, he managed this transition without any prior backpacking experience, at least at first. He simply wanted to travel to see the world and to take on adventures, finding a way to pay for it as he went. That led him to volunteer in the Workaway program in Norway, trading odd jobs for room and board at a lodge in Nordskott, Norway. And it was here where his passion for the outdoors and guiding was born. He was given an opportunity by his host to assist on a guided trip on one of the most remarkable traverses in the world. And even though it was all new to him, he jumped
1: at the chance. Living in Duluth, I had slowly dipped my toe into outdoor adventures by trying some rock climbing. And I definitely wanted to try more. And I had no idea how that was going to take shape. And the area we were at in Norway was absolutely stunning for anything and everything outdoors. We were on an island just off the coast, mountains all along the coast in front of us. And then you turn 180 degrees and look out into the ocean, and you can see the islands of Lufoten in the background. So it's just mountains and adventure everywhere. And that alone made me want to get out there and try it. And then, like you said, my host asked me a little bit out of the blue, just, hey, we we run these trips. Do you want to try guiding with me to see if you can do them this summer? And you're right. It was almost a no-brainer. I said yes right away. And ever since I've accepted that, I've learned that my very best experiences and my fondest memories come from the experiences I was least prepared for <laughs> and least expecting. And as a traveler, it's, I've, I've learned to embrace the spontaneity as much as possible. And someone asked me to try something I've never done before. It's, why not? Just give it a try. And as you can see from my career choice, it really led me down a different path that would never have happened otherwise.
0: For sure. Talk about that first trip a little bit. I mean, this is the one where you realized that being a guide was your calling, right?
1: It is. And it was so incredible. I was an apprentice guide, so I wasn't actually leading the trip. I was more of a shadow. And the first part of that hike was 3,000 feet straight up on one of the mountains. It was called Surskulten. I'm pretty sure I'm butchering the pronunciation, but that's as close as I can get. The hike itself up the mountain was very picturesque, but nothing too extraordinary. We were in forests, we were crossing streams, and it was very pretty, but nothing that we don't have here in the States. It was just a beautiful nature hike. But once we reached the top and the trees parted, it was indescribable, almost. We could see the fjord on two sides. The mountain itself was on a bit of a peninsula between two fjords. And then spanning this huge deep valley was the Nordschott Traverse, which was this mountainous, rugged cliff that was maybe 10 to 20 feet wide, most of the way across, and perhaps half a mile long. And it was something I had never seen before in my life, even as a rock climber. It's just something that we didn't have or in my corner of northern Minnesota. And the sky was blue. The Arctic Ocean was that crystal turquoise that made it look like it was Hawaii or some tropical islands, just such crisp turquoise water. If you dipped a toe into it, it was absolutely frigid. But from above, it looked very inviting. And when my lead guide, my host, he helped me unsling the rope and showed me all the knots that we were going to do and get our harnesses on. And he was just rattling off all the the procedures for how to do a safe rope traverse. And I wish I had brought a notebook because I was trying to write as much down as I could and remember everything he said, but just the awe of we're actually here. We're actually doing this. There were no trails where we were. It was really up to my host, the guide to pick out what he thought was the best route for me as as a baby adventurer at that time. It was just such an epic adventure of like what a little child would imagine doing when they grow up. And that sense of awe has stuck with me ever since.
0: You mentioned a lot
1: that you're very
0: new, not just to guiding, but really new to being in the outdoors. And, you know, here I am talking to you as, a, as an expert, because you are working as a guide. And a lot of people listening want to know, you know, how to get a job as a guide. And what I didn't know was that the guiding field is highly competitive. I wonder if you knew that going in and what makes
1: it so. At that stage, I had beginner's luck, which is definitely a thing. I was blissfully unaware of how competitive the field was that I was stumbling into. And I think that lack of knowledge about how competitive it is and my little happy-go-lucky type of attitude where I'll just try anything that I could find really helped me fall into a right position to find a job. But you're right in that it is competitive and it ebbs and flows as the needs change within the industry. For anyone that was looking to become a guide, without a doubt, the late winter to early spring timeframe is when the industry is at its peak in terms of hiring because every summer hiking outfit is gearing up for the summer. And guides tend to move around and we're a very nomadic bunch. So we're either following the season or we we accept an assignment from a guiding company or we make our own plans just to travel the world somewhere.
0: What's your favorite part of the profession and maybe the flip side of that? What are the more difficult parts of it?
1: My favorite part of the profession for guiding is definitely the freedom. When I am out on a hike, whether I was in Nicaragua or out in the PNW, I'll be pinching my tent out on a campsite somewhere, watching the sunset, enjoying the views, and it'll click in the back of my mind that I am here and I'm getting paid to enjoy this hike, which is an incredibly liberating feeling. It's just you feel like the whole world's open to you. On the flip side, the work you have to do to get to that level of Zen is extraordinary because hiking is a very busy profession. And I often think of it where from the guest perspective, your goal is to be like the serene duck that you see on a pond, but then underneath the water, you're just paddling furiously trying to (laughs) make any forward progress. Yeah. Because... The work that goes into cooking meals, cleaning meals, getting camp set up, keeping our camp clean, filtering water, the list that we go through in our head every single time that we get to a new campsite is extraordinary. And above it all, you have to maintain this professional and informative persona for the guests. So just balancing the chaotic nature of your to-do list with appearing completely relaxed, And passing on information and telling stories to the guests, it's a balancing act that all guides have to go through.
0: Yeah. I haven't been on very many guided hikes myself, except one in Peru. And I was amazed that our guide was like never in a bad mood at any time ever. And I'm sure, you know, he's a human being, so he has moods, but was always caring and always present, but didn't seem fake. I mean, seemed absolutely, you know, a a genuine human being.
1: That's exactly how it is. No matter what happens, whether you have terrible weather, for example, and it's just a slog, or perhaps out of a group of seven guests, you have one very difficult or rude guest, no matter what happens, I've noticed this too, that all guides, we just laugh and put on this persona of complete relaxed and calm and understanding and accommodating. And while on the inside, you're going through lists of how to fix the situation, how to make the situation better. I was once on a hike or guiding a hike in the North Cascades National Park in Washington State, and it was a six-day trip and it rained all day, every single day. (sighs) So we had no views and everyone's wet, everyone's angry, everyone's cold. And in that particular situation, I spent a day slinging up two tarps to make this lovely palatial rest area. We had a fire going all day long since we couldn't move anywhere because the trails were just flooded. And I keep waterproof playing cards in my pack. And we just had a a tournament of playing cards for a while because there was literally nothing else we could do. We were just socked in by the weather and the conditions. (laughs) So you have to maintain that sunny persona no matter what.
0: You know, I was going to ask you questions about um, tips for writing a resume and, you know, gaining the requisite experience. But I would say that maybe an important question to ask yourself if, you know, someone listening right now is thinking this is a profession I want to go into is if you have the right temperament for it. And do you think that, you know, people can be weeded out as like they are not only people who are experienced and can be organized and, you know, lead the trip and know enough about it, but also people who can manage other people and keep that sunny persona.
1: Temperament is definitely the deciding factor for new guides, because if you're considering becoming a guide or pursuing that path, you always have to remember that when you're hiking and guiding, you're not there to enjoy it yourself. You're there to make sure everyone else enjoys it. So you make sacrifices that might make the experience not as fun for you, but it will help someone else have a great experience. So if a guest is really struggling with a full backpacking pack, as a guide, most of the time you don't even hesitate. You help them as much as you can. You might start taking weight from their pack just to make it as easy for them as possible. So at the end of the day, they might be feeling great, enjoying the sights, laughing with all the other guests, whereas you're toting around a 60, 70, 80-pound pack oh. and slowly dying on the inside. <laughs> but that's the job, and your guests have a great time, and that's that's just what you do, and that's what you're there for. Right, and yet you still love it. I still love it. I would never change my career for anything else. And part of me these days, I think about helping my guests and seeing their smiles and seeing them slowly understand just how vitally important and beautiful and how much they enjoy the outdoors seeing all those emotions come across their face as we over the course of a trip is worth everything that i go through to make it a great trip because a lot of the guests that i work with this their trip is potentially their first time backpacking or their first time really hiking at all so being the gatekeeper, as it were, to actually show them this world that I love so much. It makes the job well worth it.
0: Now, you've needed to get certifications um, to be a guide, to be a professional guide. And one you mentioned is WEMT, which I guess stands for Wilderness Emergency Medical Technician. And that sounds really involved and expensive. Can you talk a little bit about certifications and how important they are?
1: You're absolutely right that the WEMT, the Wilderness Emergency Medical Technician, is both involved and expensive. I, in this case, had a bit of a head start where I had some medical training before I left the United States, and I was able to build off of that. And once again, the spontaneity and the serendipity of timing helped me find a course in Scotland uh, when I just happened to be staying there, which worked in my favor. But in general, for the wilderness medical certifications, a wilderness first responder is the industry standard. And those courses, depending on if you do a hybrid with part of it online or a full in-person course, the length of it could be anywhere from a month to crammed into a couple weeks. And I personally recommend it in-person whenever it's possible because the hands-on aspect of it is so helpful, especially when something happens in the backcountry, and it will, it always does, um, that you have some muscle memory built from your course, just that you can fall back on, but they are the single greatest certification and expense that's on the road to becoming a guide. And I, I cannot recommend it enough. I've used my wilderness medical certification so many times from Scotland to Nicaragua and to my more recent occupation with wildland trucking in the PNW.
0: So just to kind of finish this out, because this is an episode that's um, helping people who are considering maybe getting jobs in the outdoor industry, do you have any tips for folks on writing a resume, for instance?
1: In terms for writing the resume, we've already covered the medical certification side. The other critical side is experience. And for breaking into the industry, for guiding, you don't necessarily need on-the-job experience. You don't need to be a pro-veteran guide in order to get a job. What you need is simply hiking experience first and foremost. So if you know the area you want to guide in, say it's the Smoky Mountains, for example, if you go out and you spend a summer or a month just hiking, hiking, hiking. That experience alone on your resume is gold to guiding outfits because they want guides who know the area, know the plant life, know the wildlife, and know the trails. That alone is so incredibly important. And then the second part about resume building and experience is if you have the opportunity to volunteer as I did, that is also very beneficial. There are lots of outfits abroad that work with guides on a volunteer basis, as I did in Nicaragua with an organization called Quetzal Truckers. So looking for those opportunities to travel and gain a little bit of guiding experience at the same time is absolutely critical to resume building. But as I said before, just hitting the trails in that area you want to guide in is equally as important.
0: Well, great. Well, Dan Purdy, thanks so much for sharing these tips, and congratulations on your new career.
1: Thank you very much. I was very happy to share.
0: Dan Purdy is a professional guide working the season for wildland trekking and leading trips in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. He gives great practical advice if you want to follow in his footsteps. And the one that really stuck out for me was how knowing an area really well, its trails, the flora and fauna, and any history— is extremely valuable to guiding companies. You can start with no guiding experience at all, but loads of hiking experience. I also remember how amazing our guide was in the Vilcabamba in Peru, never at any time making us feel slow or weak, ensuring we saw everything and tried everything, including cooey. But that does take a special temperament to be organized and able to manage a lot of details and moving parts, and not let your frustration show. Dan wrote an article for The Trek with more stories and tips, and I've got some links in the show notes for courses and certifications, plus the guide companies he worked for in Nicaragua and Scotland and his volunteer work. I'm not sure if guiding is the job for me. What about you? There are lots of ways that you can work in the outdoor industry and live your passion every day. The outdoor industry, if you hadn't noticed, is booming, and there's a spot for you if you know how to look. Coming up we'll talk to Ally Carr from Basecamp Outdoor Jobs and More for tips for landing your dream job in the outdoor industry. I'm Blissful Hiker and this is walking distance from the trek. Walking Distance is supported by Garage Grown Gear, your one-stop online shop for ultralight gear from over a hundred small startup and cottage outdoor brands. Everything from quilts and packs to accessories and meals from makers including Katabatic, Lone Star Ultralight, Bear Vault, Enlightened Equipment, Nomad Nutrition, Six Moon Designs, Goosefeet Gear, and one of my faves, Kula Cloth. They offer free shipping for orders over $20. And here's a really cool deal. First-time customers get 10% off using the code DISTANCE10. That's 10% off your first order using the code DISTANCE10. Support the little dudes, shop intentionally, and get 10% off at garagegrowngear.com. Ali Carr, welcome to Walking Distance. So what is Basecamp?
2: So Basecamp is a community place to network within the outdoor industry. And because of that, it's become a very, very valuable resource for people who are looking to level up on their career in the outdoor industry. So making moves within the outdoor industry, trying to get into the outdoor industry if you're from an external industry or, you know, coming into kind of your career for the first time as an entry-level person. So it's become sort of a a hub for all things outdoor industry career. (laughs) How did you get interested in starting this hub? I was between jobs in 2017 And there really was no place to look for sort of media jobs within the outdoor industry or creative jobs. There was, you know, Malachi, which kind of had more of the sales reps jobs and corporate in the brand jobs. And then, you know, there's kind of the huge LinkedIn or Indeed or even Media Bistro, which is targeted towards media people, but there was nothing for outdoor specific. And so... You know, I thought I should probably just start something that kind of brings my network together in the outdoor industry and then have them invite people and we'll just create this group and we can feed each other our jobs and opportunities and collaboration opportunities. And it worked. So I invited about 200 people that I knew in the outdoor industry and asked them to invite 10 more people each. And some of them did. And so <laughs> um, it was off.
0: Is finding a job in the outdoor
2: industry different from finding a job in other industries? Well, I don't think so, no. I think that um, maybe in the past it was. In the past, I think there was more sort of pressure put on kind of how outdoorsy you were. And I'm using um, quotes here around the term outdoorsy because I think in the past that meant kind of a core level of outdoor adventure that someone would find as a recreational hobby. But now... I think that the outdoor industry is starting to really open itself up to candidates from all different industries, from all different walks of life. We're redefining the term outdoorsy. Um, That's kind of a a conversation happening in the industry right now to include anyone who sees themselves as adventurous. So maybe you like to take your baby to a park and show them the grass and the wind and, um, the sunshine. And, and that's the level of adventure that you can take on in your own life. Or maybe you're climbing a 14er, um, or maybe you like to go to the climbing gym and you live in a metropolitan city. All of these things make up somebody who is now sort of defined as outdoorsy. So that means that this job hunting process is similar to um, outside of the industry. So we know that Eighty-five percent of jobs are found through networking. That's actually a statistic that comes from LinkedIn, and so that's your number one goal if you're career hunting. Is, <laughs> is definitely network. Go on LinkedIn, find somebody who works at that place that you want to work. Start to make you know inroads and have conversations with employees there. Introduce yourself. Find the recruiter. You know that that's really what's going to give you that leg up. I will also say that really understanding what you want from a job, from a company, identifying what skills you have and also that you enjoy. Um, Because if you put yourself out there in a very kind of general way, you're not likely to get a lot of response because there is always somebody who has the skills that are kind of perfect for whatever opening there is. So really understanding where you fit is a super important thing to have success in job hunting.
0: Now, I noticed that people put up their candidacy right on Facebook too. Um, How does that work? So they're saying like, I'm available.
2: Yes, yeah. So in our group, when you come in, We have some primer instructions basically saying, you know, introduce yourself, put yourself out there as a candidate, tell this group who you are, what uh, your skills are, your background, who you've worked for, you know, basically the types of things that you might put into a cover letter are fantastic in terms of what you might put into an introduction in the group. And once you do that, you know, people can see you might be a fit for their company. Uh, I think it's also important to voice what you want. Is there a particular area of the country that you want? to move to are you looking for a remote gig are you interested in maybe you have a marketing background and you want to get into you know demand planning I don't know there's all these different avenues that you can take and so it's important to voice what you want and and I actually have personal success with this story um I joined a group. It was an entrepreneurial group for women and put an intro up. And I just had this feeling that I really wanted to do something to support women and mothers in particular. And I put my bio up there, outdoor adventure writer, et cetera, et cetera. And I would like my next move to really help support women and mothers And the next thing I knew, I had a message in my inbox. Hey, I'd like to give you a call. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Like, okay. I didn't know who she was. And then she's like, oh, well, I'm calling from Nike. And I was like, wait, 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 what? (laughs) Okay. Let's talk tomorrow. And sure enough, it turned into, you know, a year long gig creating content to support women and mothers and was just a total dream job. So Putting out there what you want into the universe, into these communities, voicing it is one avenue towards, you know, actually receiving it.
0: This show is called Walking Distance, and it's really serving backpackers and hikers and walkers. And the reason I wanted to do this program is because so many people who go and take a long trail, like, really want to work in the outdoor industry or kind of make walking kind of part of of their life, you know, and in their working life. But, I mean, the outdoor industry needs people in so many different ways, like in HR and in PR and marketing development. I mean, I think in some ways you really need to think outside the box for what it means
2: to work in the outdoor industry. Right. Yeah. Definitely people kind of envision these, you know, marketing jobs where they're going to be out in the field um, doing some fun events. Those exist. Absolutely. They're some of the most competitive jobs in the outdoor industry, but the less competitive jobs will still put you into a company that probably, you know, favors work-life balance, you know, is definitely passionate about making sure that you're getting outside as well. So looking, you know, if you have IT skills, if you have finance skills, HR, you know, human resources or, or people support skills, all of these are such important parts of running a business, um, as I'm particularly learning as I'm, you know, growing Basecamp. cam. Mm-hmm all the different facets of running a business. I'm starting to understand just the level of importance that all of these positions hold. Um, (laughs) But yes, there are so many, so many ways to work in the outdoor industry. And then beyond kind of that corporate level, you know, there are nonprofits where you can work in fundraising and they need executive directors. We see those jobs come up quite often. And then, you know, you could work in actually out in the field as a wilderness therapist or an expedition guide or, um, you know, a biologist really it's figuring out what's important to you. If being outside is really what's important to you. And we hear that a lot from people. How do I find a job where I'm actually not at a desk? Then it's probably not going to be at the corporate level. It's probably going to be, you know, something working with the, uh, us forest service maybe, or like I said, a wilderness therapy group or, or guiding youth, you know, those positions all exist and there are ways to kind of craft uh, the reality that you have. What
0: are some of the most interesting jobs you've seen come through base camp recently?
2: I love seeing like the lab testing or the gear testing positions within brands. So like your job is really to just like break gear and see what it can <laughs> um, withstand. And I'm sure that these people get super creative with, oh, can we run this over with a car or can we light this on fire? Um, That seems like a pretty fun day to day, just dreaming up all the ways that you can break something. You know, there are people out there who are in charge of color. I think that's a really interesting job. So like color for the North Face or for Arcteryx or anything, just really being on top of like color forecasting and trends and creating color. That's super interesting to me. Also, somehow I get really dreamy about the idea of being one of these sort of managers for one of these lodges, like up in Alaska, we see those jobs come through where they're like, we're looking for a couple or an individual to come and live here for the season and manage our property and, and, you know, host guests, etc. And that seems pretty awesome. Mm -hmm.
0: For sure. What about people in mid-career or changing careers? Do you see jobs opening up for people who have like really never been working in the outdoor industry and trying to break into it?
2: Yes, absolutely. If you can transfer your skills or articulate your skills and how they'll be transferable to a company in the outdoor industry, then that is really your key to moving from something exterior to something in the industry. So, you know, making sure that you can give that quantitative data. If you did sales, let's hear like, you know, how did you do sales? Uh, What were some of the wins? And then just translate that. This is how I can help your company because the outdoor industry really needs all of those skills as well. And so it's really just about the ability to articulate the skills that you had developed from your background and then how you can transfer those into the outdoor industry.
0: You mentioned earlier that it's a really good idea to introduce yourself and be really specific about who you are and to network. Are there any other tips you would give a person who is interested in breaking into the outdoor industry?
2: Yeah. um, I mean, the one thing that I think I've learned over the years is, you know, I think when you're young, you can get kind of caught up in like, oh, what's the title or what brand do I work for? Like, is this the coolest position? But it's really not in the end about like what other people think about your job or your career um, or what brand you work at or where that falls on the sort of status factor. You know, it's about what you like to do And, and you're gonna be spending, you know, 40 hours a week or whatever it is doing this thing. So figure it out what it is that energizes you what you have fun doing and find the jobs that hold that responsibility. If you like to do spreadsheets, find a job that has a lot of data. Maybe you become a data analyst. I don't know. But like, don't get caught up in what other people say is supposed to be the cool job. Decide that for yourself based on what it is that you like to do. And I think that you'll be a much, much more sort of fulfilled and happy person um, and work won't feel as much like work if you can really tap into that thing that you enjoy doing. And then, yeah, network, talk to people about who have the job that you'd like so you can get a better understanding of what it took to get there. Finding out other people's paths is such an incredible way to help navigate your own sort of career path forward. And also know that like no one step is definitive for the total journey of your career. Like you can do one job for a year. And if you don't like that, then change jobs, you know, try something else. Each career move is kind of its own little uh, rocket ship adventure to space, you know, and then it comes back down and you take some of the skills that you learned and then you move on to the next launch. So, So that would be some of my advice. Really
0: cool. And I know that I'm a little bit selfish because I'm talking about mid-career and that would be me. But these are great tips and I really do like being on the Facebook page too and and getting your emails as well. Those are really helpful.
2: Awesome. Well, we love having you and of course, so happy to be here. And um, anytime, reach out if you have more questions, we're here.
0: Allie Carr is an outdoor adventure writer and moderator for the Facebook group Basecamp Outdoor Jobs and More. She's also one of the hosts, along with Jenna Selmer, of the podcast Outdoor Dream Jobs. I really love her mentioning that there's a redefining of what it means to be outdoorsy and how we can fit into the industry, and that targeting our specific skills, what we want to do, where we want to live, and putting that right on the Facebook page is a great way to help employers find us. And that's even if what we do is more what someone might call a desk job, because ultimately, if we work in the outdoor industry, we're working for a company that values an outdoor lifestyle. You can check out the moderated page on Facebook, Basecamp, Outdoor Jobs and more. And we have a lot more about different jobs in the outdoors and their salaries in the show notes. We'd also love to hear from you. Have you changed careers? Do you have any advice? Hit us up at walkingdistanceatthetrek.co. And as always, do let us know how we're doing. You can subscribe to Walking Distance wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're listening on Apple, go ahead and rate and review us. That does help others discover the podcast. Our theme music was composed by Daniel Nass. Thanks so much to Zach Davis, Jackie Marusiak, and Tina Mullen. Thanks again to today's title sponsor, Gossamer Gear, manufacturers of high-quality, lightweight backpacking gear and accessories, and my choice for thru-hiking. You can save 15% on your next order at gossamergear.com. Just use the code word WALKINGDISTANCE, all one word, WALKINGDISTANCE, and save 15% off your order at gossamergear.com. And I'm Blissful Hiker. You've been listening to Walking Distance from The Trek.